if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into 1 Peter 4, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 11 this morning. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Peter says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This text, this charge that Peter gives us is a charge to love earnestly. If you look at your notes, they might look a little different than they normally do. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this text and we're going to ask questions to the text. And we're going to let God's Word answer those questions. The first thing we see in this text is a command. Above all, love earnestly. Let's ask the question, why? The answer we see in verse 8 is, since love covers a multitude of sin. Love earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. And then we'll ask the question, why is it important that sins be covered? The answers given is that so you could show hospitality without grumbling. Very practical. So you can be a good steward of God's varied grace, the spiritual gifts He's given you, so that you can serve one another with those gifts. How can I do those things? Answer, in the strength that God supplies. Question, Why is showing love in these ways so important? Answer, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Question, why should God be glorified in everything? To Him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We could commence right now, right? Go meditate on that. Love earnestly because dominion is God's. And He deserves the glory of this earnest love. The point is, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about God being glorified because He's worthy and it's His kingdom And we're stewards of everything. Our life is His. Our souls will be required back from us. Our time will be assessed. What we did with His things and His money will be 
assessed at the end. He is worthy. He saved you to love. And so as we look through us, that we look at this sermon, the main command is to love. And when we think about the topic of love, we begin talking about what I think is the most convicting challenge or call that God has put on us as Christians. Some will say, man, sermons are on prayer are really convicting. Nobody, nobody feels like their prayer life is good enough, right? I'll tell you what's more convicting than even that is when we consider what God says about love and that He calls us to love earnestly and that this call is really a call to be like Him. If we were going to look at Psalm 136, here's a psalm that you'll know in a moment at least half of it, even though you might not even know what's in it. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to God, the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him alone who does great wonders. For His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who by understanding made the heavens. To Him who by... Our, and, and it goes on for 26 verses. The last verse is, Give thanks to the God of heaven for His steadfast love endures forever. All these things God did, and at the end of all 26 verses, is this, His steadfast, immovable love endures forever. It's what God is. Thank goodness He's a God of steadfast love, or I would be in trouble. That's what God is like. That's what He is. All these actions throughout these 26 verses are showing His steadfast love. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's an incredible thing. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now I'm telling you, that bar is so high because He loved sinners. He loved rebels. He loved the ones who didn't love Him. And he says, this is how the world will know you are mine. Is by this love. By the way one person loves an enemy. 
or loves the unlovable. That's how. When one believer sins against another believer and this believer loves them and covers that offense and shows mercy and grace, that's what shines the love of Christ. So when John writes his letter in 1 John, this letter that is written so that you can know that you have eternal life, there's these tests that how do you know if the new birth has really happened in your life? The main drumbeat that it comes back to is love. I'll just share a couple of them. 1 John 2.9 Whoever says he is in the light, so he says the right thing, and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3.23 says, and this is his commandment. So it's singular here. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. You're going to sift Christ's command down? Believe in Christ, love one another. And then he says, just as he commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, in God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, that by the Spirit whom He has given us. And then in 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Love one another, for love is from God. It's foreign to you, but it has come to you in the new birth. That's what he's saying. And then he says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's love. God sending Christ for rebels for sinners to pay the price self-sacrificially for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, this is 1 John 4.11, we also ought to love one another. Isn't that true? If He loved us like that, ought we not love one another? No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. So when Peter says, above all, love earnestly, he is not saying a controversial thing. He's saying exactly what Christ has taught. And then we know the Apostle Paul, what he said in 1 Corinthians 13. When Speaking of love, he has to show what love does. And here's what the New Testament, it almost seems wrong. 
that God would put love above faith or love above hope or love even above truth. Now, we can't know love apart from truth, but knowing truth, having truth without love is nothing. That's what he says in in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I know the Scripture inside and out, I have no questions. I know it, I can say it, and I have faith in it, full on, but I don't have love. Nothing. It's nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he says what love does or what it is. Love is patient and kind. Kind. Another way to translate that Greek word is easy. When Jesus says my yoke is easy, it's the same Greek word. My yoke is kind. Sometimes we can be really difficult. We can be not easy. We can be a pain. I'll just leave it at that. Can't we? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Or boast. It's not arrogant. Which means it's not doing this comparison thing saying, how can, I'm so much better. It angers me at all these people that aren't as good as me. It doesn't, it's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. You see what I mean? This is the most convicting thing to consider. It's not irritable or resentful. Love is not irritable. What? How in the world are we going to be up to this challenge and this command to love earnestly if love is not even irritable? Isn't irritable just being human? It's like, give us a break, Paul. But he says, love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You know what that's getting at? That means love does not rejoice in finding the worst in other people. It, this is not what it means to be a Christian. To be a sin finder in other people. Congratulations. Easiest job in the world. Every relationship you have is with a sinner. It's on display all the time. You get no rewards for being able to see it, see it, see it, see it, see it, see it. I see it. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. 
Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things. That's the opposite of rejoicing in the wrong. You know what? I'm going to believe the best about that person. I'm going to believe the best about that person in this relationship. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wow. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. But we know in part, for we know in part, we prophesy in part. And then verse 13, it says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. Those are three noble things. These three, but the greatest of these is love. God's the one that puts love on top. And it's hard. Bearing all things, believing the best about someone, hoping the best for someone. I can tell you this is convicting to my heart. It's really easy for me to think the Christian life is being right. Being the good one. Knowing the right answer on all the outward morality. Yeah, that's a bad one. That's a bad... Yeah, that's terrible. God hates that. God hates this. Yep, I'm... Boy, am I glad. I got the right answers and I'm on the right side. I don't like thinking about love being not irritable. You see, now that gets inside me. Do I shine Christ or do I look more like a Pharisee? Because the Pharisees cared an awful lot about morality. An awful lot about the right things to do. And yet they missed the mark. And so as we look at this text, Peter's calling us to what he's already called us to. Uh, in 1 Peter 1.22 he said, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again. You see, Peter would not call you to this love if you weren't born again because it would be impossible. This is supernatural type of love. And back in verse 1 of 1 Peter 4, he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of his time, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He's saying no longer live for yourself, but live for the will of God. In order to love, it can't all be about you. 
It has to be about His glory and the good of another person. So the command comes, He says, love earnestly. Since, someone could say, well, why? Since love covers a multitude of sins. Well, what does this mean? I'll share what a few commentators say. They're all pretty much in line. John MacArthur says, some say it refers to God's love covering sins, whereas others say it describes believers who are lovingly overlooking each other's transgressions. Since the text offers no explanation, it seems best to understand the phrase here as a general axiom. Whether from God or man, love covers sins. Love derives from the well-known Greek word agape, which carries a strong volitional significance. And his example is this, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, God made this volitional decision to die for rebels. That's what love is. That's not fuzzy, fuzzy, my affections are overflowing for someone. I just authentically overflow with this love. This is, I'm deciding to love the unlovable. And MacArthur says, God in His love covers sins. And for us, us in our love cover other people's sins. Here's the way Wayne Grudem says it. The reason for loving earnestly, the sense, is because love covers a multitude of sins. And here's what he says. Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, now get this, where love is lacking, Every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. If we're honest, in our relationships, we can be friends, but we're listening. How did they say that word? What did they mean by that word? What I bet they had bad intentions with that action. Tom Schreiner says, when believers lavish love on others, the sins and offenses of others are overlooked. Are you convicted yet? I am. Charles Spurgeon says it so beautifully like he always does. He says, love covers a large number of sins. Not your own sins, but the sins of your friends. So that you'll not see them. Where love is thin, faults are always thick. Where love is thin, faults are always thick. 
Where there is true love in the heart, we make many apologies and allowances for the weakness and is for the weaknesses and infirmities of our friends. Often we cannot see the faults in them. When we know they are there, we go backward. Now get this, like the godly sons of Noah and covered the nakedness upon which we will not think of looking for love covers a large numbers of sin. So the illustration is you have Ham that looks at Noah when he got drunk and naked after he got off the ark and he looks at this father's nakedness and receives a curse. But Spurgeon says, if you want to see a picture of love, it's Japheth and Shem who could look at their father's sin and just kill him in it, but instead they walk backwards and cover their father's nakedness. That's love. That's what God has done for you in Christ. And that was what God has called us to do in relationship to one another. This text teaches the same thing Proverbs 11, our 10 verses 11 and 12 says, The mouth of the righteous is the fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love covers all offenses, but hatred stirs up strife. Do you want to know what happened? Do you want to know what so-and-so did? What do you think I should do about this? What do you think I should do about that? And so the reason for loving earnestly is that it covers a multitude of sins. And someone might be thinking, wait a minute, what about Matthew 18 where we're told to confront sin in a brother's life? Matthew 18.15 says, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. For if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Which means the sin that Jesus has in mind here is the type of offense that can't be overlooked because the relationship is broken apart from it. And... If they go on in their unrepentance, they prove to be unbelievers. So, so even the example we see in Matthew 18 does not seem to be, okay, where, where's sin? I, you know, I see a little selfishness. I see a little bit of this. It's not that we don't sharpen each other, but it's that the attitude of even the person doing Matthew 18 is this attitude of wanting to cover, not expose. That's why Jesus says, go talk to the brother alone. You see, it's a desire to cover. It's a desire to not bring anyone else into it. It's an attitude of the heart. So I don't think this is in contradiction to that. By default, our default attitudes for our brothers and sisters in Christ ought to be mercy and grace and a willingness to cover offenses and sins in order to see the grace of God in their lives. 
This does not come naturally to the flesh. It just doesn't. Offense comes quickly, and covering offense comes slowly. We ought to be experts in mercy, however. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, this is one of the most helpful passages for my mind as I think through this. The issue going on in Corinth when he's writing this letter is there's those who know more truth. They know they can eat food sacrificed to idols, but then you have brand new believers that are used to worship idols by eating food sacrificed to them. And so they're struggling with eating this food sacrificed to idols. And the knowers, those who know you can, are actually causing division in the church. And so here's what he says. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. In one sense, I think he's being sarcastic a little bit. I know we all know so much. We all possess knowledge. And then he says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't know as he ought to know. So however much you know, Christian, you don't know as much as you ought to know. You ought to never go about bragging about how much you know. Because you don't know as much as you ought to know. That's what Paul's saying. And then he says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. One person can brag about, I know all this, I know all that, but then there's another person that is known by God. The one who loves God is known by God. So, and then this text ends in verses 11 and 12. It says, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak is a sin against Christ. His point is, although you're right in your knowledge, you're using it in a way that's harming your brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's how I deduct this. As a Christian, if I asked you what percent of knowledge do you have that you could have? One out of 100%, what percent are you going to give yourself? If you're smart, you're probably not going to put too high. (laughs) But if I say as Christians, what percent of mercy and grace have you received from Christ? 100%. So... Ought we to be experts and proud of all of our knowledge or be more experts in showing grace and mercy since that's what God has done towards us in Christ? We're truth people. You can't have anything apart from truth, but if you have truth apart from love, it's not truth. If you really want to know the truth of God, 
You need to love God and love others for all the commandments hinge on those things. And if we were going to ask ourselves, well, so what, what would the opposite of love look like here? If love covers a multitude of sins, the opposite of love would be bitterness against someone. Maybe. Hebrews 12.14 says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You see, when a root of bitterness springs up in someone, many people become defiled. Many sins happen. But when someone loves, rather than get bitter, covers the sin, sins are covered. The opposite of love, if love is covering sins, might be slander. Rather than cover their sin, I'm going to tell and defame that person because I know what they did is wrong and I know what God says about that. So I'm going to make sure everyone knows what they did. That's what the Bible calls slander. This is what Paul feared was happening in the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians 12.20 For I fear that perhaps when I come I may not find you as I wish and that, I, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Proverbs 20.19 says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. It's the opposite of covering. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with the simple babbler. Proverbs 11.12 says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Proverbs 18.6, A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin. And his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. If we're honest in our flesh, isn't gossip like this tasty morsel? I mean, it's like we're talking about the weather. We're talking about something else. But then someone offers up some slander or gossip. And we go, what? So so who? So really? You got to be kidding me. When did that happen? How did that happen? If we're honest, in our flesh, it's like a tasty morsel. But it's not love. How can someone that has so many sins that have been covered by pure grace enjoy nailing someone down in their sin rather than showing them grace and mercy and pointing them to the grace and mercy in Christ for their sins. Showing them 
Not ignoring where sin does need to be talked about, but with an attitude of wanting to cover, with an attitude of mercy and grace and love. So slander is like the opposite. How about legalistic hypocrisy? This is what the Pharisees were, right? What did Jesus say? The Pharisees were like the morality police on what looks outwardly right. Uh, They had the right views in the culture. They probably had the right views politically. But here's what we read in Matthew 9.10. And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. So here was his homework for the Pharisees. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, here's what you're missing. Yes, you realize that the people I'm eating with are sinners. Congratulations. But you need to learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want you to love those people. I want you to want them to know the mercy that you can know in Christ. So when we catch ourselves involved in any type of thought or discussion about someone else that isn't focused on the very best of that person, we must stop and search our hearts. Don't believe the lie, the satanic lie or justification saying, truth is truth. If they truly did it, I can truly talk about it. That's not what love does. We're called to believe the best about those who were in a relationship. You know how relationships would flourish if when we're tempted to believe the worst, we believe the best of their motives? And the reason why we ought to do this is we're limited. We are so limited in our perspective. Someone could come to work treat you in a way that isn't nice, be short with you, maybe be rude with you. And you could go tell your coworker, what's wrong with so-and-so? Do you see what they did? Here's the thing. You don't know if that woman woke up with a hungover husband from the night before. You don't know what's going on in her life. You don't know what brought her in. Not to make excuses for her. But we lack grace because we assume we know what everyone is going through. Let's show grace to one another, recognizing life is hard in a fallen world. All of our lives are difficult, and you don't see all my difficulty, and I don't see all yours, but let's assume it's there. Let's show mercy and grace to one another. So why is it important that we love and cover other sins? Here's why. 
so you can show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You can be faithful in showing hospitality with the wrong heart and it doesn't please God. And this text says there's no way you'll be able to show hospitality to a difficult guest. Maybe it's costing you money and time if you don't cover their weaknesses and their offenses. You can't do it in love if that's what you see. You're going to do it bitterly. I suppose they can stay another day. I suppose I'll buy them another meal. I suppose they're not thankful for it though. They're not. Have we not all done that? I'm going to do the right thing, but I really shouldn't because I see all this wrong in them. So to even be faithful to show love, we have to have the type of love to see the best in them, to assume the best in them. We won't use our spiritual gifts, whether they're speaking gifts or serving gifts. We will not use them if we're seeing the faults in other people. You won't do it. It's only when you have the heart of covering their sins that you will come and you'll overlook them and you'll be patient and you'll bear all things and you'll endure in this never-ending type of love. And you might say, well, how in the world can this be possible? It's in the strength that He supplies. That's the only way it's possible. This is supernatural Holy Spirit empowered love and strength that isn't rejoicing in the list of wrongs, but is covering that, knowing my sins have been covered in Christ and and seeing the grace of God in their life. Those few things that maybe you can see. You got to fight to see those. And then we ask, why is showing love in this way so important? Look at verse 11. In order that in everything God might be glorified in Christ Jesus. That's why we love. That He be glorified. That This world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. If Christ is going to be glorified, we need to love Why should we care that Christ be glorified? Look at how the text ends. Whoever speaks is one who speaks. I'm sorry. uh, To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The reason why Christ must be glorified is because he is the king and we are not. He's the one that deserves the glory. He's worthy of the glory. And so whenever we start throwing our pity parties for how we've been sinned against, we need to remember that glory is not unto us. We're rebels that have been shown grace. He's the one worthy of the glory and the honor. And our life is His We're stewards of grace. We're not owners of anything. We're not owners of our money. We're not owners of our time. We're not owners of our soul. 
We're stewards and we desire that He be glorified because we love Him because He loved us first. I want to end with a quote from Spurgeon. He says, We have known men who say, Well, I I suppose I must give something. But these claims come so terribly often. My purse is always being drawn upon. But I suppose I cannot get out of it without subscription. So he gives as if he were parting with his own blood. His fingers tremble and linger long over the shilling which has to be extracted as forcibly as if it were a tooth. One wonders that the queen's image is left upon it when it has been held with such pressure. He says, this is how so many of you give. I suppose I should give. To get that out of his hand, it's like pulling a tooth. But then what Spurgeon said next just made me cry when I read it. But the Lord gives out of the greatness of his heart without so much as a trace of unwillingness. Even when the boon was his own son, he freely delivered him up. The love you and I have been shown is a God who gave Christ not with one ounce of maybe I shouldn't. He gave out of the greatness of his heart. And Paul said the love of Christ controls us. When that love is poured into our hearts and we see that by faith, it can be given gladly and freely and cheerfully. And it's my prayer that you've experienced the love of Christ, that in your sin you realize you had no hope. But for God so loved the world, He gave Christ so that your sins could be covered and so that you could be saved. Father, I pray that this love would reign in our hearts. If we're going to be honest, we all fall terribly short of this love, Lord. And so we need the strength that can only come from you. God, would we be a congregation that overlooks each other's weaknesses and faults. And where there is sin that needs to be talked about, that it's only dealt with between those two people first. That there's a heart of wanting to make everyone look the best rather than the worst. God, that's going to take supernatural power. So we ask that you would work that in our lives. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.